Our scripture reading for this morning is uh, taken from Romans uh, uh, chapter, chapter 16, verses uh, 17 down to 20. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 down to 20. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verses 17 down to 20. Romans chapter, six, Romans chapter 16, verse 17 reads, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such said not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Verse 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And verse 20. And God of peace and God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. We'll be in the book of Romans, chapter number 16. This is, Lord willing, the next to last sermon we'll have in the book of Romans. And next week, Lord willing, we will have one more sermon in the book of Romans. And uh, I have to say, I will miss this glorious epistle. Romans chapter number 16, God created you for one single purpose, and that one single purpose was to glorify God. That was the, that's the very reason that you exist. Somebody asks, what's the purpose of life? What's the reason of life? To glorify God. That's why He created you. All things were made by Him and for Him. Our responsibility in all of life is to glorify Him. And yet, you and I, every single one of us was born with a problem called sin. Sin causes us to be separated from a holy God. Sin causes us to not glorify Him. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves for the rest of our lives, we will fight with this because we seek to glorify ourselves. Pride will continually creep up in my life and in your life, and that's rooted in sin. God knew from the foundation of the world. He knew that sin would enter into the world. And so the Father sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come die on the cross for our sin. Christ took our sin on the cross so that we might have the righteousness of God. The very thing that He demanded for us to be right with God, He provides through the cross by Christ taking our sin and giving us His righteousness. There is no greater exchange in all the world. And then... As a result of you being saved, placing your trust in the Lord Jesus, the gospel then begins to do its transforming work in your life. And that's what all of Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8 are all about. That the gospel is transforming my life. My life should be different because I'm trusting the gospel. Friend, when you come to Romans 12 and 13 and begin to look at that mirror, as it were, look at that mirror and see, is your life transformed? Are you loving other people? Are you praying for them who despitefully use you? 
Are you paying your taxes? Are you doing the things that Christians should do? When you look at Romans 12 and 13, when you see, oh wait, I'm falling short in this area. I'm seeking vengeance for myself. When I look and see that I'm falling short, I realize, no, not I need to change my life, but I need to be trusting the gospel more. Friend, you'll never be sinless. You should be sinning less. The longer you're saved, you will not reach perfection this side of, side of glory. The day will come when you'll be perfect. I look forward to the day of glorification when I'm with Jesus forever. I'm in a glorified body. No more worrying about sin. But in this body, there will not be perfection, but there should definitely be projection. You should be getting more and more and more like Christ the longer you live hating sin and sinning less. And that's the transformation that happens in your life because of the gospel. And then an amazing thing happens, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of chapters in the book of Romans. The more I'm transformed, the more I realize you're transformed. And there's another one over there, and she's transformed, and he's transformed. And now we have a uh, a common denominator. We're brought together. We're all transformed and we're seeking unity amongst ourselves. And then we see in Romans chapter 14 that there's all sorts of things that we might have that we would say are minor things that are different between us, but I'm willing to set aside my minor differences because I see that unity among the brethren is so very important. Paul's words, I'm willing to set aside meat. I will go as a vegetarian the rest of my life if that means not offending my brother. It's a big deal. As he comes into chapter 15, he gives examples of how big a deal is it that he would be concerned about unity. He's going to go all the way to Jerusalem, 6,000 kilometers out of the way, so that he can make sure that there is unity among brethren. And he goes knowing it will definitely cost him his freedom, might cost him his life. He knows it. Unity is that important among brethren. I watch as he comes into chapter 16, and we saw last week example of 26 friends that are at a church that he's never been to. If ever there's an example of unity among brethren, friend, when you part ways, most of the time when you part ways, you look back on an old friend and you go, yeah, he was my friend, but... And he's got 26 friends that are in Rome and not a single one of them, he goes, but... He cares about unity among brethren. And today we come into a passage like verse number 17, and I'll be honest... On the surface, it seems like it's a contradiction against what he's written for the last three chapters. Look at chapter 16 and verse 17 with me. Seems like a contradiction. I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. It seems like a contradiction. It seems like he's been saying, let's be unified. And now he says, find the ones that cause problems. Mark them. Avoid them. When you say the word avoid, that doesn't sound like unite at all. It sounds like, let's find the one. Get rid of them. And here's our point for today. There's sometimes a need to separate for the sake of unity. Let me read that again, verse number 17. I beseech you, brethren... 
Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. I'm going to give you a statement here at the very beginning. I want you to grasp this and perhaps hold on to it all throughout the rest of the passage. True unity is built out of a love for truth. True unity is built out of a love for truth. There's a common misunderstanding when we talk about unity. Many times we think, I think this is our culture, but I think this goes beyond just our society. I think Western culture as a whole embraces a mentality that says that unity is built on acceptance, but it's not. Unity is built, true unity is built on a love for truth. And here's what I mean. Uh, People want to have unity in the current society and in our culture, Western society at large. They want to have unity, but they want to have it built on acceptance. In other words, you see how I am and you accept me, and I see how you are and I accept you. The day comes when those two will be at odds. The way I am cannot always be unified with the way you are. But if all we do is build unity based on acceptance, we end up having problems at some point. I'll give an example of this. About 18 years ago, I made probably the biggest mistake ever in my ministry. And to this day, I still carry the repercussions of it. It still comes up from time to time. And it's one of those things in ministry that I'm very embarrassed about. I'll admit that one of those besetting sins that I carry is anger. And those of you that are closest to me would know this, and those of you that are at a distance would probably find that a hard thing to believe. But I have a very deep sense of justice. And when I see that something is wrong, I have no problem speaking out about it. When someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do or someone does something they're not supposed to do, I have no problem speaking out about it. And sometimes I have a problem of speaking out about it a little bit too strongly. Another way to say it is I have an anger problem. And, and, and I remember about 18, 19 years ago, I remember saying a phrase like this, You just need to understand, I have an anger problem, and you need to watch how you act around me. That's not transformed by the gospel. And and here's what ends up happening. When I carry that type of mentality in my life that says, this is how I am, you need to accept it. The day will come when what I am is going to be hurtful to you. Instead of me being transformed by the gospel, and I need to face the truth, the fact that, yes, I have a problem with sin in my life, and I need that fixed. I don't need to ask other people to accept my problem with sin. And by the way, if you're paying attention to global climate and how things are moving, this word acceptance is a very big thing, especially in terms of the LGBTQ community. The idea that you just have to accept me. Friend, unity, true unity, is only going to be built on a love for truth. And so whether your sin falls in one category or another, don't use your sin as an excuse to do what you want. Instead, love the truth and walk away from your sin because the gospel should be transforming your life. And I'm sure you've seen examples of this even perhaps in your own house line as someone might be a drunkard, sin coming home in the middle of the night, having neglected their family, sin. 
shouting and making all kinds of noise, sin, expecting that everybody will just accept them. You see, that doesn't bring unity. It only brings a surface. And everyone keeps their mouth closed because they don't want it to go worse. But understand this, true unity is built around a love for truth. And we'll see that as we walk through our passage today. Verse number 17, I'll read again. And I'm just going to outline this passage as I see it in the text. So, uh, number one, we'll see mark and avoid. Here it is, verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. That's two verbs. If you love English like I do, love grammar, mark them and avoid them. That's the two verbs that are there in verse 17. This is what you're supposed to do. Mark them. In other words, pay attention, see who they are, and avoid them. There's a reason for this. If you want unity, if you have a hundred people and one person is causing disunity in among the 100, you must get rid of the one for the sake of the 100. So mark them. Somebody's causing problems. Mark them and avoid them. And there's two reasons here, or two things that they're doing in verse 17 that help us to know who is it that you should be marking? Who, who do you mark? And it says it very closely, they who cause divisions. Mark them that cause divisions. The word division, it comes from a Greek word that has two root words in it. And the two root words are two and standing places. The number two and standing places, you can see that when you say division, it's two places to stand, right? And so here, I, in my mind, I have somebody in the church that would be creating two places to stand. And so what they do is they come in among the church and they look around and they go, well, I have a way of thinking that looks like this and the church, it has a way of thinking that looks like that. And now I'm going to speak up and I'm going to create two places to stand. An amazing thing happens when someone creates a division, causes a division. What they're doing is they're putting a dividing line in people's minds to where they don't understand. Some things are Romans 14 issues where it's okay for us to agree to disagree. But instead, they draw a clear line and they say either you're on that standing place or you're on this standing place. Perhaps I've shared this before for our church, one that comes to mind about a year ago. I wanted to share with someone how they could follow us on social media, our church. And so my first thought was, hey, I'll just take you right to Facebook. So I grabbed my phone, took it out of my pocket. I'm trying to tell this guy, unbeliever, this is how you find us. So I pull my phone out. I open Facebook. I type in, in the search, Capital City Baptist Church of Port Moresby. And I thought the very top is going to be our church's page. What do you know? The very top was not our church's page. The very top was somebody who was mad at our church. I was taken back. So what in the world? Quickly, I scrolled past the complaint about our church. (laughs) Found our page. I said, this is where you need to go. And later on, I went back. What in the world is somebody complaining about? And it was a year ago. We were singing a Motu song right here in church, and somebody was upset about it. Listen. Let me just say this from my heart as your pastor. There are many different ways to sing. There are wonderful ways to sing. You can sing in English. You can sing in Motu. You can sing in Pigeon. You can sing in Talk Place. 
I don't care. You'll notice, however, that we usually don't sing in talk place here because we have so many different talk places. Could you imagine if we started singing in talk place for every single people that was here? It would take us all day just to sing one verse for everybody. So we don't sing in Oro or Tuaripi or Chinese or Australian or even American. But we do sing with what is the majority singing. So we sing in English. We sing in Pidgin. We sing in Motu because we have a lot of Motu speakers here. Nothing wrong with that. But somebody took offense by it, and you know what they did? They created two standing places. You know what I see there? Division. Somebody that doesn't care about loving the body, but instead cared about creating a place for a voice for himself. Mark him. Avoid him. I don't need that. To be honest, I blocked him. So maybe he's still out there talking bad about us. I don't know. Mark him and avoid him. Don't even worry about engaging him. Romans 14, by the way, there were two places to stand on that. You eat the meat offered to idols or you don't eat the meat offered to idols. The Apostle Paul said, I'm willing, for the sake of the brethren, I'm willing to give up my liberty so that we don't end up even having two places to stand. You see, unity among the brethren is very important. Keep in mind, however, when it came to doctrine... He had no problem putting his finger in Peter's face. Galatians chapter 2, he tells the story about how Peter was sitting at the table with some Gentiles and the brothers came in from Jerusalem. And Peter's quickly moved away from the table and by doing that, he offended these Gentile brothers. And Paul, Bible's words, Paul withstood him to the face. I can just imagine this. Paul the apostle, finger in the face of Peter the apostle. Brother, you're wrong. You're causing divisions, Peter. This is going to hurt people, Peter. And yet, later on, instead of him holding on to it and writing to all the brethren and saying, see how wrong Peter has been? Paul allows himself to be arrested in an attempt to make sure there's unity among the brethren as he goes and visits Peter and James and all the other brothers. You see, unity among the brethren is important. Mark them that cause divisions. And note that it does not say, mark the one who is different from you. It's not what he said. It didn't say, mark the one that's different from you, because if you go looking for differences, you'll find them. He said, mark the ones that cause divisions. Somebody's different from you, perhaps. This is a pastoral statement. Perhaps it might be good for you to sit down with them. Ask them. Not ask them so that you can teach them why you're right. That's how the old man thinks. The old man says, let me teach you why I'm right. But the new man says, I want to make sure that I'm right. And so I'm going to sit and listen. And if you've got a better persuasion from the scriptures, I want to hear it and I want to know it because maybe I need to change how I'm living. Another thing here, mark and avoid them. Mark and avoid who? Those who cause offenses contrary to the doctrine that you've received. You see that in verse 17. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Avoid those who do not hold to biblical doctrine. And there are many biblical doctrines that you should be holding closely to. I think of things like the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and His perfect sinless life 
as a human being, God in the robes of flesh. I think of His death and His burial and His resurrection and salvation that you and I receive by grace alone through faith alone. I think of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures and how God breathed the Word of God through those authors for us. And I think of how we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit upon receiving the Lord Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. He seals us unto the day of redemption. These are doctrines that we've received and there's no leeway in them. There's no, oh, I'll just slide over to this or slide over to that. I'm going to hold on to them. And I think through the years as I've spoken with people who have made statements that I think are very foolish. One statement I heard was something like this. It was another pastor, Baptist pastor. He made a statement like this. He said, I know what the Bible says, but this is what I believe. That's contrary to the doctrine that you've received. I don't get to put what I believe or what I think in front of what the Scripture says. I heard another preacher from the pulpit say once, I don't know what the Bible says about this, but this is what I believe. I want to tell that preacher you need to not say anything then. If you don't know what the Bible says, don't say it. For where the Scripture speaks, we speak, and where the Scripture is silent, we're silent. So there might be things, I think of our current culture, things like women being pastors. Scripture prohibits that. And ladies, I want to tell you this with as much love as I can put in this. I hope you know my heart. God has given men that role to pastor the church and preach the word. And God has given ladies roles that men cannot do. Namely, you can carry a child, and I cannot. You can give life to a child from yourself, and I cannot. God has given different roles, and for us to turn a blind eye to that would be ignorant and silly. There's other things that would be against the doctrine that you've learned. That would be the prosperity gospel. Those who would say, if you'll just give, God will give back to you. He wants you to have your best life now. It's a misunderstanding of the Scriptures. And usually it's personally motivated by the one who's speaking it. So mark them and avoid them. Second thing that I see is in verse number 18... I believe he gives out the motivation. So we can hear in verse number 18, we can recognize their motivation. We can see why is it that they do these things. Why would they, why would they cause divisions? Why would they give false doctrine? See it in verse 18. For they that are such, they that are such, those that are dividers, they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. I see two two motivations here in verse 18 for why they would do it. And the first one is that they serve themselves. You see the words that are written there in verse 18. They serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but instead they serve their own bellies. Or they serve their own appetite. It might be their appetite for food. It might be their appetite for popularity. It might be their appetite for financial gain serve themselves. They don't serve the Lord Jesus. You think about it this way. Why would someone split a church? Why would someone create two places to stand? Why would they do that? Because they're serving themselves. 
Paul's words in Romans chapter 14. Don't make the kingdom of God about meat and drink. Christ died for your brother. The kingdom of God is peace and love and joy. And the Holy Spirit bringing together and unifying. It's not pushing apart. So they're serving themselves. And if a guy is preaching that you need to give money to him, you better be very, very, very careful, church. I recently spoke with a gentleman, told me that his pastor had preached that every year, everyone in the church was to give of their first fruits. Braxton was there with me. He heard this conversation. They were to give of their first fruits. And the way he interpreted that was that every person in the church was to give their first fortnight paycheck to the pastor every year. Serving himself. It's the only thing I can see there. The wicked motivation. Friend, he serves himself. And the word serve in verse 18, they serve not the Lord Jesus. The idea behind serve is that of a slave. So he's not serving Jesus as a slave, which would be a good picture, but instead he's serving his own belly, serving his own appetite. He's enslaved to trying to build himself up. So this is a terrible thought. Paul describes them again in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 18 and 19. He says, Many whom I've told you often, now I tell you weeping, they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Friend, we are to serve Christ and serve Christ alone. So these guys, their motivation is their self, serve themselves. And then second, I see in the same verse, verse 18, that they deceive the simple. They deceive the simple. You see it in latter half of verse 18. By good works and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Oh, how smoothly they talk. And maybe some of them, I won't name them outside of Joel Osteen, will smile while they talk. And it sounds so smooth, and you listen to it, and it sounds, oh, he's so good at what he does with fair speech, as verse 18 says. He's so good at this. And you listen to it, and it sounds good, and he says, but he's fooling simple people. People who don't stop and think, does this actually line up with what the Word of God teaches? Does this line up with what the doctrine that I've been taught? Or is this somehow serving that guy's best interest? And I think that today within our current climate, our current society, you can see these with things like AIM Global and Golden Sun. I'm so glad that fell flat on its face on Friday. It made it an easy target for me this morning. All through the week, what is this? What is it? What is it? And then on Friday, bam, fell on its face. And I say, hallelujah. Fewer people got fooled by it. Now, I'll give an example of it from Kodiranga. When we were there in Kodiranga, right the year before I arrived in Kodiranga, this happened. There, they have a name for it. It's really obvious. They call it cargo cult. It looked like this. Somebody strolled into Kodinanga village and told all the people, those of you guys that are Kamea would remember this, and you'll know that I'm telling the truth. They strolled into the village, had a special suitcase, and the special suitcase 
If you'll put a five kina in the special suitcase on a certain day, they'll reopen the suitcase and they'll all be 50 kinas. And oh, how many people lost thousands as they stuffed that suitcase full of money. And guess what? Miracle of miracles. The day before the set day, the man disappeared with the suitcase. And you and I can laugh about it. But friend, it's amazing how many people fall for things like Golden Sun and AIM Global. And all of the other scams that go along with it. Simplicity. With fair words and smooth speech. Deceiving those who are simple. And some of them even with the name church. If you'll just give... God will give back to you. You plant your seed offering and God will bless you manifold times. Rubbish! I want you to hear it from me. I'm your pastor and I love you too much to let it just go. It's rubbish. With fair speech. And Paul's words were, mark them, avoid them. It's not for your good. There's a side note of caution here in verse 19. I'll read it with you. Verse 19, for your obedience. He's talking to this church in Rome and he's had nothing but good things to say to them. By the way, you get to 1 Corinthians, he has heaps of bad things to say to that church. But the church at Rome, he has nothing bad to say to them and he always talks well about them. Here he's saying it again. Verse 19, your obedience has come abroad unto all men. A lot of people know how faithful you've been. And I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf. You've got a great testimony, church. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. You see, the the caution here is Paul saying, be careful, church, because if you're not careful, what you'll end up doing, maybe we'll use a pendulum swing like this, you'll, you'll, you'll swing over to the other side and you'll say, well, if I need to be careful not to follow after them, I'm marking them and avoiding them, maybe I need to study them. Maybe that's what he's talking here. Maybe I need to study them and see all of their wicked ways so that I can stay away from them. And he goes, no, 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 don't do that. Instead, be wise concerning that which is good. Spend your time getting to know the Lord Jesus and his transforming grace in your life. And just be simple according to those things that are evil. Just be happy to be simple about that. Be wise in the word. When you're wise in the word... The grace talk that comes from these who you should avoid, you will recognize it. So be wise in the word and don't let those things over here draw you in. Be simple according to that. And if I can just take a moment and restate that, and I think that this statement is more pastoral than what I'm taking out of the passage. Maybe side note for us, brothers and sisters, simplicity regarding evil is a good thing. Simplicity regarding evil is a good thing. I say that because in our society right now, we have a lot of evil. A lot. Simplicity regarding evil is a good thing. There are people in our society whose job it is to be wise according to evil. That's their work. Sergeant Tory's with us today. I think of my own brother, David, 
the major in the police department. I think they have 1,050 police officers in that city, and he's in the top 20, highly ranked. And when it comes to evil, I have a feeling that my brother could tell you stories that would make your hair stand on end. He has to, on a regular basis, and our police officers have to, on a regular basis, they have to look down into the abyss of darkness and evil that's in our city. They have to do that on a regular basis. That doesn't mean that you and I need to peer down in there too. Emergency room, emergency department doctors, St. John ambulance workers, they peer into that stuff on a regular basis. And as a pastor, it troubles my heart the way that we are bent to collect and forward on horrific images that get sent through WhatsApp. Friend, I don't need to see somebody's body mangled to know that they were murdered. I don't need to see that. You don't need to see it either. His words here, be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. You and I are not going to crack the case police are there. They're going to do that. And I think of how many of our young people get exposed to evil that they should never see while they're underage. They should never see these things. And yet, because they have access to mobile phones, whether it be ours or the ones that we've put in their hands, they see things that they shouldn't see. And so can I encourage you, moms and dads, be simple concerning evil. When you receive a message and it, the picture is blurred, you don't have to unblur it. You don't have to forward it on to somebody else. Let us be a people who takes Paul's words and says being simple in evil is a good thing. And let us be a people who's marked by saying, I'm going to be wise in that which is good. For you know what Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, whatsoever things, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are just and whatsoever things are pure and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be virtue and if there be praise, think on these things. Church, you and I need to be putting our minds on the lovely and the virtuous and the good. Let us elevate that Let's be simple concerning evil. And then I come into verse 20, and I see that we can be assured that God will put an end to evil. This is in verse 20. You see, there are evildoers who would creep in amongst the church and cause divisions, and cause offenses in doctrine, but be assured that God will put an end to evil. See that in verse number 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Satan wants to destroy the work of God, and he'll cause divisions, and he'll use false teachers. He'll stir up strife within the body. He'll use the desires of the old man. He'll try to ensnare you with sin dangled in front of you. And he'll cause some to err from the doctrines that have been given in Scripture. But Satan will not win. 
Hear the words of verse 20. Let them resound in your soul. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The day will come, and it might seem like a long ways away from from now. It might seem like it's been forever. But friend, he says he will do it shortly. And with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. He will bruise Satan. And notice how he will do it under your feet. He will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. I don't know if you do this, but I like sometimes to skip to the end of the book to see how things are going to go. Just last week, just last week, Becky and I were flying back from the States. We got into Brisbane and we were just walking around. We'd been sitting in an airplane chair for too long. And we got into Brisbane and she said, let's go for a walk. So we go for a walk. And after a while, we found ourselves in a bookshop, and I'm walking down, and I saw a book on the shelf, and I looked at it, just the title of it alone. I said, i got to read that book. So I told Becky, I'm going to get this book. So I grabbed it, and I thought, I'm just going to read probably a first chapter or two, and I'll just kind of save it and work on it as you go. And we got on that plane, three-hour flight from Brisbane up here, and I sat there, and I just devoured that book. I read it page after page after page. It's a fascinating book. As I'm going through, I'm reading it. Becky at one point looked over at me. She said, are you going to finish that book on this flight? I said, I sure hope so. This is a good book. And I'm reading it, and I got almost, I was just a couple of chapters short of being done with the book when we landed. Landed here in Port Mercy. I didn't even get to look out the window and see what was happening. I was just loving that book. And it had me right on the edge of my seat. True story, by the way. And there's maybe about three chapters left. And we're taxiing up. And I'm like, I don't know. Does the guy make it? Does he live? And you know what I did? Flip to the back. I can't handle this. Flip to the back. And there on the back, last page is pictures. True story. Here's pictures of the guy when he was young while the story was happening. Here's the guy when he's middle-aged, and here's the guy when he's old. I said, he made it. He lived. So happy. I don't know if you ever do that, but if you're ever struggling and you're thinking, you know, the, the Lord has been good to me, but Satan sure keeps giving me a hard time. And I don't know, how's this going to turn out in the end? Can I just tell you where to turn? You don't have to turn there right now. But if you flip over to Revelation chapter 19, you're going to get a really good picture of how things are going to turn out. For it says there in Revelation chapter 19 that the Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with armies behind him. That's going to be us, by the way. Those of you that are, you and I that are believers will be with him. He'll be leading on a white horse with a crown upon his head. This ought to terrify you if you're not a believer. His robes dipped in blood on his thigh written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will, with a sword that comes out of his mouth, defeat all the armies of Satan. He will knock them all down. And we will be there behind him. I don't even know if we'll even get a chance to fight because if his sword's coming out and whacking everybody, I'm just along behind him cheering him on. Now, I see the words under his feet, uh, under your feet in verse 20. God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet. And I think, how does that work? And in the book of Joshua, chapter 10, there's a story there where Joshua and the army of Israel were fighting against the Amorites. There were five kings of the Amorites who had been giving a hard time to Israel. 
And that was the day when they were, they were defeating, but then it was one of those things where Joshua realized, if we don't wipe them out today, they're going to go and regroup. So Joshua prayed, and God did a miracle that day, and maybe you remember it. God made the sun stand still. By physics, I don't understand how that happened, but God does. And God made the sun stand still so that Joshua and the armies of Israel could completely defeat the Amorites. Now, in the middle of all of that defeating the Amorites, those five kings, like a bunch of cowards, ran and hid in a cave. Word came to Joshua, those kings are in the cave, and Joshua said, boys, send some guys down there, get a bunch of rocks, and just cover the face of the cave and don't let them out. I've got a fight to win. Oh, we'll come back. And so he goes and finishes off the fight. Fight is finished, and then he goes back over to the cave, and the Bible says that he did this. He gathered together all the men of Israel. Sometimes we read our Bible and we miss little phrases like that. Can you imagine gathering all the men of Israel? That's a lot of people. These kings have got no hope in the world. (laughs) He gets all the men of Israel together and tells them, guys, y'all stand here and watch. Something very important is about to happen. And all those guys are standing there, and I think they had to do tall ones in the back, short ones in the front, because there's so many of them. And then he said, all right, guys, take the stones off the front of this cave. And they get those five kings and drag them out. I can just imagine they're probably tied up hand and feet and probably they're crying and doing some other stuff while they're laying there. And then Joshua said, I want all the captains of the army to come and one by one put their foot on the neck of those kings. That's the ultimate, by the way, that is the ultimate display of submission. The ultimate display of power on one side, ultimate display of submission on the other. And one by one, those captains came. Put If they, if they had mobile phones back then, they'd have been getting selfies. Go to the next one. Each captain put his foot on five necks. I don't know if that's how it's going to work for us, but God made a statement here in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And you might think for just a second, if you are inclined to think that God is a loving, loving God, which He is, you might say, hang on a second, Pastor, because it says there the God of peace, and it also says bruising Satan. How does that work? If He's the God of peace, how is He bruising Satan? Well, do you remember what I said at the beginning? Sometimes you got to get rid of the one that's causing the problems. And here's what God's doing. In order to be the God of peace, to bring peace upon all the earth and goodwill to all men, He had to take the one who was causing problems and bruise him under your feet. And the day will come, Revelation 19 and 20 continues on, when He will bind Satan and throw him in the lake of fire. Oh, it ends very well. And until that day, the Apostle Paul gives us a little phrase here at the end of verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I long for the day when Satan will be bruised under our feet. And I'll be honest, in this body, 
I'm terrified to put my foot anywhere near Satan. But until that day, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul writes those words knowing he's headed to Jerusalem. He will be told over and over along the journey, you're going to be bound, Paul. You know what's happening when he goes to Jerusalem? They try to kill him. That's Satan winning in the short term. But it's not Satan winning in the long term. So in the midst of it, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Brothers and sisters, it might not be your best life now. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you go through that trial today, tomorrow, but it won't last forever. The day will come when he will bind Satan. He will cast him into the lake of fire and he will bruise Satan under your feet. And until then, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I want to close with a thought. I'll tie this together with the idea of marking and avoiding those who cause problems. Mark them. Avoid them. Practically speaking, avoiding them. Avoiding them does not mean not praying for them. Avoiding them does not mean not caring about them. Someone causes divisions within the body, mark them, avoid them. Part of that process is what we call church discipline. It's noted that that person has offended a brother. That brother has gone to him alone. That brother has gone with witnesses. That brother has brought this it's before the church and the church has put them out those of you that are members here know that we've had to do that it's a painful thing we don't do it because we want to uplift ourselves it's done because of the unity of the body it's very important and when you avoid you don't avoid with hatred you avoid with the goal of God doing his work to draw their heart back in The words that were used in 1 Corinthians 5, deliver one over to the hand of Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that God might receive back his spirit. The goal is that they would be brought back into unity. You mark them and avoid them. You think of them, even maybe the way you would think of your enemies, Romans 12 and verse 14, bless them, bless them that curse you and pray for them. You can still love them. You can still talk to them. But here's the point. It's very clear that it's not like it used to be. Can I give a practical example of that? When you see your brother or sister in Christ at church and you're in unity, you know what you do? You hug them. You salute them. That was last week. You salute them that are in Christ. You greet them with a holy kiss. And the one who has been separated, the one who is being avoided, you don't salute them. Don't give them a high five, a hug, and a kiss on the cheek. You don't do that. Or on social media, 
greet them as though everything's okay. Hey, how you doing? I hope you're doing fine. Listen, the one that's being avoided needs to understand that they're being avoided. I'll close with example of this. God forbid that we would have anyone among us that would be going through this, but perhaps it might happen that someday you go and see the doctor and the doctor tells you the bad news that in your body you have a cancerous tumor. In that moment, your mind will go to one thing and one thing alone. That one thing is, get it out. If you have a cancerous tumor, if I were to just say, for example, let's say I had a cancerous tumor within my stomach and it's growing there, the doctor tells me, I'm not going to post it on social media. Hey, look, I've got baby junior here. I'm not naming him. I'm not going to get excited about this and tell everybody, hey, look, this is wonderful. I have a new extension of my body. No, I want to get rid of it. You know why? It's going to destroy me. Mark them that cause offenses contrary to the doctrine that you've learned. Mark them that cause divisions within the body. Why? Because like a cancer, it can destroy the body. Mark them and avoid them. Brothers and sisters, may we take the word of God at face value. Father, thank you for the word and the caution this morning. Let us be wise concerning that which is good, simple concerning the evil. We look forward to the day when you will crush Satan. We thank you for your grace until that day. And in the meantime, while Satan is doing his best to destroy unity among the body, I pray that we would be faithful to mark and avoid, faithfully pray for your work in that person's life. And I pray that you would help us to be faithful to the word of God. Hold fast to the doctrine that you've given to us. We ask these things in your beautiful name.